All right, everybody, we are back and we are reading yeah. from the new book, Beyond Illusion and Doubt. Um, it's There's an introduction, so that'll tell us what it is before I ramble on unnecessarily, so I'll just get right into it. This is also a book by His Divine Grace, or at least from conversations with involving His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. I don't know for sure I have my book that he car, wrote this I book. I don't think he did. I think somebody... Um, it's, like the, a... it's a collection of like conversations, yeah. basically. Hold okay. on. Sorry. <laughs> We lost somebody. <clears throat> Is it his windows were down? Ah! <laughs> I think he said his windows were down. Good lord. It was cloudy all day. <laughs> but <laughs> it was cloudy yesterday too and no rain happened. Oh, I hope his windows weren't down. Or was he just looking for something? Oh, good lord. Hold on a second. I gotta get him, because his feet are gonna be a mess. Wait, wait, wait! What? Stay there. You and your dirty feet. I, I, oh, shit. <laughs> I washed, I wiped him on the carpet. <laughs> Jesus. You know me too well. <laughs> 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 a wild animal. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> Shit. I'm, to be fair, at my house, I'm the one that does most of the sweeping. No, I know. So you clean up after yourself. I, I mean, my floors need swept, to no, be honest no, with you. But I just, I just like to think about it so it doesn't get all over the place. But yeah, I, did have I was it. sitting in here talking to the camera. I was like, <laughs> I'm like, did he say his windows were down? <laughs> and I'm like, or did he just go out there and get something? No. <laughs> I was like, I remember I that know. I had this in my uh, backpack. Yeah. Darn it. Alright. Alright. Okay, so we're going to get right into the introduction here of uh, Beyond Illusion and Doubt. Philosophy? What's that? The word comes from the two Greek words, philo, love, and sophia, wisdom. So, philosophy is love of wisdom or knowledge. Makes sense. <clears throat> of course, there are many kinds of wisdom and knowledge. Philosophy, however, specifically concerns itself with questions related to the ultimate nature and meaning of experience and reality. As composer Bert Bukharak, Bukharak put it in a famous song, what's it all about, Alfie? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I know. Right? I wonder if Alfie had the answer. <laughs> In that sense, we are all philosophers, because we all do, from time to time, wonder what it's all about. Perhaps this sense of wonder comes from going camping in the desert and looking up at night and seeing the vast array of stars. Or perhaps it comes from a sense of disappointment. We lose something or fail to achieve something and we ask, why me? We pray to God for something and we don't get it. We see that others get what we want for ourselves. And therefore we ask God, we ask, God, are you listening to me? Are you really there? Or perhaps we're confronted with a difficult choice in life and we wonder, God, what should I do? It's like if a kid was like, Mom, Dad, can I go over to my friend's house to have a sleepover? No. Hmm. I doubt you really exist. Yeah. I'm going to my room. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> perhaps, or perhaps we're confronted with a difficult choice in life and we wonder, God, what should I do? We search for some basis to make a decision. Or sometimes we find that what appeared to be solid and real, a relationship, a position, something, suddenly disappears. And we wonder, what is real? Is there anything in this world I can really count on? That's a good question. Or we see things happening around us in ways we cannot explain. And we wonder, is there any logic, any reason to all this? We hear someone trying to justify himself to us, and we can tell he just isn't making any sense. And we question him. Do you know what you're saying? Whether we know it or not, <laughs> all these questions we keep asking are philosophical questions. <laughs> Do you even know what you're saying right now? <laughs> oh, God, that's a question I'm familiar with. Do you, what, what is this? I find this? myself asking that to my kids. You even, as they stutter and stand her for some excuse. <laughs> Do you know what you're talking about? <laughs> Philosophy has traditionally been divided into four branches. The first is logic. The study of the formal structure of argument, of how a conclusion properly flows from certain assumptions, premises, and statements, 
The second branch is metaphysics, the study of the ultimate nature of reality, of God and the universe and consciousness. The third branch is epistemology. Epistemology. The science of how we know things. And the fourth branch is axiology, the study of values, of ethics, of how we determine what is right and wrong. This branch also includes aesthetics, the study of what is truly beautiful. So that's kind of like what all the, the ancient Greeks were into, really. Mm. Like breaking down the logical... Right. Like That makes sense. They weren't so religious as they were, like, spiritually philosophical. In all these areas, many questions come up, as we have seen. But how do we find the answers? Western philosophy has relied on individual speculation, which involves taking evidence from our senses and evaluating it with our minds. But this method leaves us with a great deal of uncertainty. After all, our senses are imperfect, and our minds are subject to illusion, mistakes, and the propensity to cheat to pretend we know something when we really don't. With all these variables, each philosopher tends to come to a different set of answers to the fundamental questions. Indeed, it seems that one really can't be a leading philosopher without saying something substantially different from the philosophers who come before. This constant overhauling of philosophies throughout Western history can make the study of philosophy very frustrating, especially for people who are consulting philosophers not just to play an intellectual game, but to find practical answers to life's most perplexing questions. True. There is another approach to philosophy, however. The philosophers of the Vedic civilization of ancient India distinguish two ways of getting at the truth. One is called the ascending path of knowledge, and the other is called the descending path. Western philosophers commonly use the ascending path, the 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 path of speculation, The Vedic philosophers recognized that one who uses this method can never achieve certain knowledge. Free from illusion and doubt because of those pesky, imperfect mind and senses. Oh, one can... I read that wrong. The Vedic philosophers recognized that one one who uses this method can never achieve certain knowledge free from illusion and doubt because of those pesky, imperfect mind and senses. They preferred the descending path of knowledge, recognizing the existence of a supreme intelligence behind the universe we experience with our senses. The Vedic philosophers accepted that the only way of getting certain answers to ultimate questions is to receive knowledge coming down from the supreme intelligence, God, known by the name Krishna. This knowledge, originating with Krishna, has been passed down through a chain of spiritual masters since the beginning of time. There is no need to change it. There is no need to speculate about it. It is perfect knowledge. The duty of a spiritual master is to get... You want to grab that, just shut that door real fast? Yeah, I guess that rain will get a little loud. Yeah, it's getting a little loud. I thought I shut it. I don't know what I did over there. You went back into... Yeah, well, I went back in and turned the light off. I think I didn't shut the door like a bonehead. Speaking of not living consciously. All right, there we go. Yeah, that's pretty down Okay. This knowledge originating with Krishna has been passed down through a chain of spiritual masters since the beginning of time. There is no need to change it. There is no need to speculate about it. It is perfect knowledge. The duty of a spiritual master is simply to pass this knowledge on to his or her disciples, who in turn become spiritual masters and pass it on to a new generation of disciples. Because this knowledge is not the product of imperfect human minds and senses, it is beyond illusion and doubt. But we should not blindly accept knowledge from the descending path. It is not dogma. We can test it with logic and reason and discover for ourselves how it is superior to any contrary conclusions arrived at through the speculative method. I think that's super important right there. He says we should not blindly accept knowledge Mm -hmm. from the descending path. Yeah, he's not saying saying you have to do this. He's just saying, like, yo, take it. he says you can test it with logic and reason and discover for yourself how it is superior to any contrary conclusions. Yeah. That's what I really find, that I find attractive is that... You can really get into it. The Vedic, yeah, you, it, it does a very good job at answering some of the questions that you have. <clears throat> and basically from my experience, when... I find that like when I have a question that I'm not immediately finding answered, the more I read, eventually I find somewhere that... Like, yeah. At least does a pretty good job at offering. Yeah, you can find the answer. I think you just have to read. You have to be patient. It's also kind of like people sometimes I feel like 
they get frustrated. I mean, all of us, you want an answer, you want to figure something out, you're feeling miserable about something, you're struggling, you want a way out, but it's kind of like you want to lose weight, you want to get in better shape. Like for me, like I want to be in more fit shape like I used mm -hmm. to be. I'm working out now. Mm -hmm. I can't work out for two days and then be like, oh, this is ridiculous. I haven't, I haven't improved at all. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. I'm not, what is this? Like my arm is exactly the same size as it was two days ago. It's like, no, it's like, it's going to take time, energy. You have to eat well, you have to work out. You have to actually do it regularly for probably several months to see like, I mean, if you're really going crazy and trying to build muscle, you can do it in a few weeks, but you know what yeah. I mean? Like you have to do it repeatedly and practice and get better. And your form has to be good. You know, mm -hmm. if you're doing push-ups and your forms like all over the place where you're doing the yeah, push-ups and you're like squirming result. around, like you might be working out weird muscles, but you're not getting your shoulders and your back or and the, you your arm. Yeah, exactly. But if you're doing like the bridge pose while you're doing push-ups, it's not exactly like that's a different type of push-up. Like you have yeah. to like do things and you have to learn what the correct way is. And that's what they're yeah. talking about. Like you have to study, well, I, you have to learn from a spiritual part, master. You have to, I think the good way of thinking about a spiritual master for someone that maybe has a hard time with, you know, you know, they think like, ah, oh, some hokey religion, whatever. Like, think about it like this. If you approach somebody mm. and you think of that, try to think of it more as I'm trying to find a spiritual scientist, mm. right? Yeah. And a Makes good sense. scientist, you listen to Neil deGrasse Tyson, right? Mm -hmm. He's a pretty well, you know, well-renowned, learned scientist. You listen to him speak, he's very passionate about what he speaks about. Mm -hmm. So you need to find someone who is a spiritual scientist who is passionate about what he speaks about. But, again, approaches things scientifically, uh -huh. logically, because it's, it's just so much easier for you to stomach it. Because yeah. it makes sense, rather than, you just have to believe. I, I, it's all about, I mean, yeah. faith needs to be there, but you can't build faith on some blind, like... Yeah. That's where... So that's why you're saying use the logic at the end. Use logic. Well, use logic in the beginning to start yeah. answering your questions. Right, right, the right. The more it answers your question, the more your faith gets built. Right. And then the more you're like, you know what? There's actually something to this. It seems to answer a lot of my questions in a way that really makes me feel like I understand. I think what and then and the interesting know. thing here is they're saying the, the descending. So initially going to that top level of this is coming from the Lord. Mm -hmm. But you are getting it from someone who got it from someone who got it from someone who got it from, you know, what, mm -hmm. it's this disciplic succession. It's this succession of people who are dedicating their lives to the study and understanding of and passing yeah. down the pure information of. Yeah, they're not but, and then they're saying you still need to trust because you can't just trust that that person is for sure, like necessarily, at least not off yeah. right off the bat. You need to have, be, have your logic. You need to have your intelligence. If someone's telling exactly. you that this is coming from God and you must now go murder all these innocent people because God said this must be done. Because exactly. just like in the Mahabharata where they kill all those people, it's like, no, 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 no the, the, this idea of taking it and then they're saying... The duty um, of a spiritual master is simply yes, to pass this yes. knowledge on to his or her disciples, yes. who in turn become But we should not master. blindly accept knowledge from yes. the ascending path. It is not dogma. We can test it with logic and yeah. reason and discover for ourselves how it is superior to any contrary conclusions yeah. arrived at through the speculative method. So it's like, oh yeah, this is kind of like, okay, cool. And by practicing yoga, we can experimentally verify the truths received through the descending path. In this particular age, yoga. the most highly recommended process of yoga is bhakti yoga, the yoga of devotion to God. And that's the kind of yoga that is internal. It is right. not. It's not like stretching. This it's is not really. the stretching. The, there's different. There's many paths of yoga. Mm -hmm. And in the Bhagavad Gita, as we're reading in another yeah. series, the Bhagavad Gita lays out all of the different. That's basically what Krishna is telling Arjuna. Look. Here's these yoga, the this these is the, the yoga. You have this type of yoga, you have this type of yoga, you have this type of yoga. But of all the yogas, yeah. bhakti yoga is the number one best because you can engage in it all the time, yeah. anywhere, no matter what you're doing. It's Bhakti yoga is a state of... Well, any yoga is a state of consciousness. Yeah. But bhakti yoga is the most effective shift in your consciousness to actually control your senses yes withdrawing your senses like a turtle right away yeah. from things i'm gonna go live out in the in the woods right <clears throat> like eventually uh, like yeah <clears throat> like in the Mahabharata, uh, there's a story that arjuna narrates to yudhisthira and well king bar is what i meant 
in King Barret, he went to the woods oh, to yeah, give yeah, up, yeah, exactly. and then he still got attached to a deer. Still attached. You're, this like, little cute like baby Arjuna deer that he got attached here, to. If you renounce the kingdom and you go into the forest, but you haven't reached true renunciation, which yeah. is bhakti, perfection of bhakti yoga. Yeah. Your your walking stick and your water pot will become your own attachments instead yep. of a kingdom. Yep. You're you're going to be attached to that one piece of cloth that you have. Yep. Because you actually haven't rooted out the source of attachment. Yep. And yeah, it's a uh, some deep. <clears throat> mm. All right, where am it. I at? Oh, in recent times, the most prominent spiritual master in the line of spiritual masters coming from Krishna was His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. His own spiritual master, His Divine Grace, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, asked Srila Prabhupada to spread the methods and conclusions of Vedic philosophy throughout the world. Mm -hmm. In the early 1970s, Srila Prabhupada decided to analyze Western philosophy in light of Vedic philosophy. In a series of tape-recorded conversations, his scholarly disciples Hayagriva Das and Shamasundar Das presented to Srila Prabhupada selections from the teachings of prominent Western philosophers, from Socrates to Carl Jung, Carl Jung, Jung right? Yeah. And Srila Prabhupada commented upon them, Beyond Illusion and Doubt is based on those conversations. All but one of the chapters of Beyond Illusion, the one dealing with the philosophy of John Stuart Mill, originally appeared as articles in Back to Godhead, the magazine of the Hare Krishna movement. Srila Prabhupada founded this magazine in India in 1944, and since then it has become the world's foremost journal dedicated to the teachings of Lord Krishna. Mm -hmm. I confused myself with how I read that. What did I say here? Okay, Beyond Illusion and Doubt is based on those conversations. All but one of the chapters of Beyond Illusion the one dealing with the philosophy of John Stuart Mill, originally appeared as articles in Back to Godhead. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, so everything but that conversation has already been yeah. published somewhere. Okay. We are under no illusion... Recording. Yeah, I didn't yeah. pause properly there when I read it, and I confused myself. I'm sure I confused people listening. We are under no illusion that Beyond Illusion presents an ex exhaustive treatment of Western philosophy. After all, for the most part, the philosophers presented here, some of the most prominent in the West, wrote voluminous voluminously and created a complex system of thought outlining an original worldview. Rather, what you'll find here is a fascinating series of insights into some of their most salient ideas and a concise yet thorough presentation of the basics of bhakti yoga. Mm. You'll read how Srila Prabhupada applauds Socrates' opposition to the sophist view that morality is relative, that there is no absolute standard of right and wrong. Quote, the highest duty of man is to care for his soul, end quote, Socrates declared. Srila Prabhupada agrees and explains how. Excerpts from Plato's Republic provide Srila Prabhupada with a context to explain the Vedic social system. While Aristotle's speculations on God and man come in, the f in for some sharp criticism. <laughs> when, when, oh. when you see here sharp criticism from Prabhupada, it's normally like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, woo. <laughs> It's awesome. Srila Prabhupada notes several similarities between the Vedic view and the ideas of Oregon, origin, the father of Christian mysticism. Is it origin or origin? It's origin, I think. Origin. Oregon? I'm not um, sure. The father of Christian mysticism, especially concerning reincarnation, but points out that Oregon or origin, I apologize if I'm saying it wrong, was wrong to believe the soul is created. Srila Prabhupada shows how ridiculous is Augustine's statement that reincarnation is ridiculous, <laughs> but he approves Aquinas. Uh, Aquinas. 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 Oh, I said it right. <laughs> he was Aquinas, a, five proofs for the existence of Aquinas God. Aquinas is really interesting to read. He's basically, I think it's Aquinas, if I remember correctly. He's basically like the first Christian. Aquinas. 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 Yeah. Aquinas. Aquinas. Okay. He was, a, he was one of the first Christian, like, thinkers that thought, lo that took Aristotle's, like, logic and reasoning Mm -hmm. based approach to philosophy and applied it to Christianity. Gotcha. <clears throat> He's really, really fascinating. <clears throat> Srila Prabhupada shows... Oh, okay. Kierkegaard, Kierkegaard was per perfectly correct, says Srila Prabhupada, when he wrote that in the highest stage of life, a person submits himself to God mm -hmm. and obeys him totally. But he was wrong when he insisted that the truly religious life must entail great suffering. Oh, man. That is actually <laughs> something that... E like, I have had conversations that have disturbed me with people... And I mean, like they're doing. Yeah, you know, we're all here doing our best. Mm -hmm. But people who who have that same perspective, they're like, mm -hmm. "Well, if you're really surrendered, then you just put up with." Basically, 
not to get into, I'm not going to go into the details of what I'm Let's talking about, but I'm going to give, I'm going to go in, this is from a long time ago, first of all, just to put it out there, just in case it sounds similar to something that's happening recently, it's not recent, it's something from when I was younger, but people that are like, oh, it's okay for me to be like, borderline, maybe not abused is a strong word, but like, almost emotionally abused to some extent, but it's okay, because I'm, I'm surrendering to Krishna, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that is not, no. And, and that kind of belief can sometimes then drive other people away who think that that's yeah. what you're telling them they have to do. It's like, why would I want to do that? <clears throat> Nobody wants to yeah. do that. Um, Schopenhauer recommended that the way to real happiness is to destroy all desire and will and thus reach nirvana. No, says Srila Prabhupada, desire and will are intrinsic to the soul and must simply be purified of their material focus. Mm. What you were saying earlier about not being like you, it's not about giving up everything and somehow sitting and just like nothing. It's about learning to put your mind and your logic your and your to yeah. the, to work in a way that's beneficial to your spirit soul, yes. to your long term journey, as opposed to short term um, benefit, yeah. benefits. Darwin draws some heavy fire for his evolutionary theory, which ignores God's role in the origin of the species. <laughs> the heavy fire. The, greatest... the, in, the chapter on Darwinism is really interesting, actually. That's one of my favorite ones. The greatest good for the greatest number was the slogan of John Stewart's utilitarian <clears throat> philosophy. But Srila Prabhupada asks, who will determine what the greatest good is? Good question. <laughs> Almost two decades before the fall of the Soviet Union, Union cast Marx's atheistic philosophy into the dis dustbin of history. Oh my, wait, hold on. Almost two decades before the fall of the Soviet Union cast Marx's atheistic philosophy into the dust of Soviet history, or the dustbin of history, Srila Prabhupada points out the fatal flaw in the communist doctrine. Everything belongs not to the state, but to God, and therefore everything must be used in his service. Nietzsche extolled yeah, Nietzsche. Nietzsche. Is it Nietzsche? Nietzsche. Nietzsche? Oh, I always thought it was Nietzsche. Like, or it's not, I don't know. You I, could I, could, right. I, I could be wrong, though. Um, one who has completely yeah. conquered his passions and is dependent on no one. <clears throat> oh, extol Nietzsche, Nietzsche or Nietzsche extolled the Superman. One who has completely conquered his passions and is dependent on no one. Srila Prabhupada shows how the real Superman is the fully self-realized soul who recognizes his complete dependence on God. Regarding Freud, Srila Prabhupada explains that whatever relief psychoanalysis can give us is simply palliative unless the patient recognizes that the root of his problems is his misidentification of the self with the body and his alienation from God. Quoting the Bhagavad Gita, Srila Prabhupada calls Sartre's existentialism demonic because it ignores the authority and very existence of God and declares man a useless passion striving vainly in a purposeless world. Wow, what a guy. Really was trying to encourage people to live life, huh? Finally, Srila Prabhupada heartily applauds this statement from Carl Jung's autobiography. Quote, One must be utterly abandoned to God. Nothing matters but fulfilling his will. Otherwise, all is folly and meaningless. End quote. Unfortunately, Jung never found a qualified guru from whom to learn the science of Krishna consciousness. We're not so unfortunate yeah, as Dr. Is it Nietzsche? <clears throat> Nietzsche? Okay, Nietzsche. We're not so unfortunate as Dr. Jung from Beyond Illusion and doubt and many other oh we're not so unfortunate as dr young from beyond illusion and doubt and the many other books Srila Prabhupada has left us as well as from his followers who are faithfully carrying forward his teachings we can learn the philosophy practice and goals of krishna consciousness and make our lives successful that was by the the, the whole bit was from the publishers editor's note a native bengali Srila Prabhupada learned english in the early part of the 20th century when it was common to use only the male pronoun where today we might write he or she or him or her and similarly to use the word and i skipped myself a page to use the word man to indicate a human being of either gender mm -hmm. like mankind yeah this is where some about. people are like ah oh, but it sounds so sexist but this, this is, is this that's is the type of english that he learned exactly. that he was learned, what they that's how they used when to the use British english were controlling india in the you know he was born in what the they would say man in reference to mankind it was short for mankind it wasn't yeah. saying man as yeah, yeah, yeah. in a male <clears> person <throat> yeah. i mean there were some issues with some people back then which is part of where what problems we're dealing with now have come from yeah, yeah. but it wasn't the way Prabhupada was intending it it's just the way the english language is being used the way um, he learned it. Right, yeah. the way he was taught. Um, thus, when Srila <coughs> Prabhupada says, through this met method of self-study, any intelligent man can see that he is not the body. 
He is not excluding women from this important step in self-realization, nor is he barring them from yoga or God-realization, nor is he barring them from yoga or God-realization when he says, through meditation, the yogi sees the supreme truth, Krishna or God, within himself. Mm-hmm. So that's a good clarification, actually. Yes. I hadn't, I hadn't, I knew that the, he wasn't meaning it that way, but yeah. I had never heard it clearly. Like the I fact think that I it was about. It in one episode. We talked about it. Ago. I don't know if we said and about I, how the I English had read was this, or not. But I couldn't remember which book it was in that I read. Mm. And well, I'm glad we're reading this book. <clears throat> so Perfect. I'm to read uh, chapter one. Yeah, you want to get into chapter one? See, chapter one. It's about ten pages long, I think. No, it's more than that. Never mind. I was wrong. No, it is. It's about ten pages long. Okay, so. You want to go ahead and read it? Or part of it you until do your voice goes out. I'll do Prabhupada. Okay. And then we can alternate. Okay. So, Chapter one. I'll read the little intro okay. thing here. Socrates. <clears throat> excuse me. Socrates was born 469 BC, died in 399 BC. Okay. Socrates was a thorn on the side of the leaders of ancient Athens, who saw him as a corrupter of young men. The problem was that he was uncompromising in his search for an objective understanding of such moral virtue as, for, for such moral virtues as justice, courage, and piety. He was a really awesome philosopher. And he passed on his spirit to his students, most notably Plato. And in the process, the leaders contended that he neglected the gods of the state. The gods of Basically, the state. he was teaching people to think for themselves and right. question things, not just taking things what the priest said. You know, right. the, the, you know, he taught all who would listen to engage in self-examination and to tend to their souls. Even today, many have heard of Socrates' instruction to quote, "Know thyself," end quote. But what does it mean? Mm. Here, Srila Prabhupada explains that to really know the self, one must know the supreme self, Krishna. Disciple. It's uh, when they, when it says disciple, it's either Shamasundar or. Okay. Um, so I'll read the disciple. You'll read Prabhupada, and we'll just go like. Hi, Griva. Okay. Think, yeah. So Pretty disciple <clears throat> Socrates strongly opposed the Sophists, a group of speculators who taught that the standards of right and wrong of truth and falsity were completely relative, being established solely by individual opinion or social convention. Socrates, on the other hand, seemed convinced that there was an absolute universal truth or good beyond mere speculation and opinion that could be known clearly and with certainty. Srila Prabhupada, he was correct. For our part, we accept Krishna, or God, as the supreme authority, the absolute truth. Krishna is, by definition, supreme perfection, and philosophy is perfect when it is in harmony with him. This is our position. The philosophy of the Krishna Consciousness Movement is religious in the sense that it is concerned with carrying out the orders of God. That is the sum and substance of religion. It is not possible to manufacture a religion. In the Srimad Bhagavatam, manufactured religions are called Kaitava Dharma, just another form of cheating. So it's like an alternate Dharma, I think is Mm. what Kaitava means. I'm not sure 100%. <clears throat> Our basic principle is dharmam tu shakshad bhagavatam bhagavata pranitam. The word dharma refers to the orders given by God, and if we follow those orders, we are following dharma. An individual citizen cannot manufacture laws, since laws are given by the government. Our perfection lies in the following the orders of God, cent per cent. Those who have no conception of God or of his orders may manufacture religious systems, but our system is different. The Socratic dialectic usually sought to gradually arrive at an understanding of the essence of a particular moral value. For example, self-control, piety, courage, or justice. By examining proposed definitions for completeness and consistency, Socrates wanted to establish more than just a list of universal definitions. However, he tried to show that any particular virtue, when understood in depth, was not different from all the others. The unity of the virtues thus implied the existence of a single absolute good. For Socrates, the goal of life is to rise by means of the intellect to a realization of this absolute good. A person who had attained such knowledge of the good would be self-realized in that he would always do the good without fail. A soul who had thus realized the good was to be said in a healthy or sound state, or to have attained wisdom. Socrates' name for the single absolute good was knowledge. Could one say that Socrates was a kind of jnana yogi? Srila Prabhupada, 
<clears throat> Socrates was a Muni, a great thinker. However, the real truth comes to such a Muni after many, many births because they're not taking it from the disciples. Right, it takes a long time. It takes a long time. As Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, 7.19, Bahunam janmanam mante jnanavam mam prabhadyate vasudeva sarvam itisa mahatma sudhulabha. After many births and deaths, one who is actually in knowledge surrenders unto me. Knowing me to be the cause of all causes and all that is, such a great soul is very rare. People like Socrates are known as Gyanavan, wise men, and after many births they surrender themselves to Krishna. They do not do so blindly, but knowing that the Supreme Personality of Godhead is the source of everything. So they finally come to the conclusion on their own, nope, everything leads back to God, therefore I'm finally going to surrender. <clears throat> However, this process of self-searching for knowledge takes time. If we take the instructions of Krishna directly and surrender unto him, we save time and many, many births. Socrates <laughs> terms his method myutic, or I'm probably mispronouncing the crap out of that, myutic, that is like that of a midwife. He thought that a soul could not really come to knowledge of the good by the imposition of information from an external source. Rather, such knowledge had to be awakened within the soul itself. Mm. The teacher's business is to direct, encourage, and prod a soul until it gives birth to the truth. The meiotic method therefore suggests that since the soul is able to bring the truth out of itself, knowledge is really a kind of recollection or remembrance. If so, then there must have been a previous life in which the soul possessed the knowledge it has mm -hmm. forgotten. This suggests then that the soul, understood as some, which in parentheses, understood as something involving intelligence and memory, the soul exists continuously through many lives and indeed is eternal. Srila mm. Prabhupada, yes, the soul is eternal. And because <clears throat> the soul is eternal, the intelligence, the mind, and the senses are also eternal. However, they are all now covered by a material coating, which must be cleansed. Once this material coating is washed away, the real mind, the real intelligence, and senses will then emerge. Real meaning the mind and intelligence now being completely directed in service to God. Uh -huh. <clears throat> that is stated in the Narada Pancharatra. Taparatvena Nirmalam. The purificatory process takes place when one is in touch with the transcendental loving service of the Lord and is chanting the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, Cheto Darpana Marjanam. One must cleanse the heart. All misconceptions come from the misunderstanding, one's real nature, and one's relationship with God. We are all parts and parcel of God. Excuse me. We Previously we rendered service to God, but now we are rendering service to something illusory. This is called Maya. Whether we are liberated or conditioned, our constitutional position is to render service. In the material world, we work according to our different capacities as a politician, a thinker, a poet, or whatever. But if we are disconnected from Krishna, all of this is maya. When we perform our duty in order to develop Krishna consciousness, our duty enables liberation from this bondage. It is interesting that nowadays we find the kind of relativism taught by the sophists to be again very widespread. Quote, if you believe it, then it's true for you, end quote. Socrates took up the task of vigorously combating this position, trying to demonstrate by strong arguments that there must be an absolute truth that is distinguishable from the relative and that must be categorically acknowledgeable by everyone. Srila Prabhupada, that is what we are also doing. The absolute truth is true for everyone <clears throat> and the relative truth is relative to a particular position. Oh wow. The absolute truth is true for everyone and the relative truth is relative to a particular position. Um. The relative truth depends on the absolute truth, which is the samam bonam, the, the complete, or uh -huh. the, one, the one true uh, source or whatever. God is the absolute truth, absolute truth. <clears throat> In the material world, good God, I need some water. You have water? Yeah. Any more? We were just out on the river, so I was like hollering between the canoes. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay.
God is the absolute truth, and the material world is relative truth. Because the material world is God's energy, it appears to be the real, to be real or true, just as the reflection of the sun in water emits some light. But that reflection is not independent of the sun, and as soon as the sun sets, that light will disappear. The absolute truth is Krishna, and this cosmos is relative truth, a manifestation of Krishna's external energy. If Krishna withdrew his energy, the cosmos would not exist. In another sense, Krishna and Krishna's energy are non-different. Uh-huh. In that one lecture that I sent you, uh-huh. um, anyway, but so basically, you know, people will ask like, who is Radharani in relation to Krishna? Uh-huh. Krishna is God, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Radharani is like, well, she's the personification of his, the, the aspect of Krishna that, like. Is the loving the loving aspect of Krishna his you know his energy his his internal energy his mm-hmm. like that basically the sum total of that is Radharani that's the personification so mm-hmm. that's why we worship Radha Krishna it's you know one doesn't exist without the other but ultimately Krishna is the source of everything including you know Radharani but in another sense Krishna and Krishna's energy are non-different. We cannot separate heat from fire. Heat is also fire, yet heat is not fire. That is the position of relative truth. Okay. As soon as we experience heat, we understand that there is a fire. Yet we cannot say that heat is fire. Relative truth is like heat because it stands on the strength of the absolute truth, uh. just as heat stands on the strength of fire. Because the absolute is true, relative truth also appears to be true. And although it has no independent existence, although it has no independent existence, a mirage appears to be water because in actuality there is such a thing as water. Similarly, this material world appears attractive because there is actually an all-attractive spiritual world. Socrates held that the highest duty of man was to care for his soul. That is, to cultivate that healthy state of soul which is true knowledge, the attainment of the good. When a man becomes fixed in such knowledge, he will, as a matter of course, act correctly in all affairs. He will be beyond the dictates of the passions, and he will remain peaceful and undisturbed in every circumstance. Socrates himself seems to have attained such a state as his own behavior at the time of his death illustrates. He calmly drank the poison hemlock rather than give up his principles. He seems to have realized knowledge of at least some aspect have realized knowledge of at least some aspect of the absolute truth, although we must add that he never spoke of it as a person or gave it a personal name. Sorry, I was just asking my dad to grab the kids. You're fine. I have five more pages and you can Yeah. <clears throat> uh, that is the preliminary. Oh, okay. Sure the Prabhupada. That is the preliminary stage of understanding the Absolute, known as Brahman Realization. Realization of the impersonal feature. One who advances further attains Paramatma Realization, realization of the localized feature, whereby one realizes that God is everywhere. It is a fact that God is everywhere, but at the same time, God has his own abode. Goloka Eva Nivastya Akilatma Bhutta. God is a person, and he has his own abode and associates. Although he is in his abode, he is also present everywhere, within every atom. Andhantarasta paramanu chayantarashtam. Chayantarashtam. Like other impersonalists, Socrates cannot understand how God, through his potency, can remain in his abode and simultaneously be present in every atom. That's because he's God. He's all-powerful. Yeah. <clears throat> it's like, I think people forget that. It's like, what, when you say the word God, what are you talking about? You're, we're referring to a being that is all-powerful. Omniscient, he omnipotent. anything he wants. But at the same time, he also does give us the respect of having free will. That's what's so awesome. Yeah, he like, he could make us. everything do it, but that, like, it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing. No. Yeah, he doesn't want to have to control and force you and, and all this other stuff. And that is the nature of God, right? He's so trying to understand him. The harder you try, the less you're going to understand. When you're, yeah. If you're trying to understand it analytically and well, well, you know, 
Yeah. That's just part of it is he's bewildering because how can you know something that is infinitely infinite facets? Yeah. <clears throat> like other impersonalists, Socrates cannot understand how God, through his potency, can remain in his own abode and simultaneously be present in every atom. The material world is his expansion, his energy. Bumir apo nalo, nalo vayu kamano budir evacha. Because his energy is expanded everywhere, he can be present everywhere. Although the energy and the energetic are non-different, we cannot say that they are not distinct. They are simultaneously one and different. <clears throat> this is the perfect philosophy of Achintya Beta Beta Tattva, inconceivable simultaneous oneness and difference of God and his energy. Socrates held that, quote, all the virtues are one thing, knowledge, end quote. He saw goodness and knowledge as inseparable. The union of the two seems to reflect features of sattvagun as described in the Bhagavad Gita. Srila Prabhupada, sattvaguna, the mode of goodness, is a position from which we can receive knowledge. Knowledge cannot be received from the platform of passion and ignorance. If we hear about Krishna or God, we are gradually freed from the clutches of darkness and passion. Then we can come to the platform of Satvaguna. And when we are perfectly situated there, we are beyond the lower modes. In the words of the Srimad Bhagavatam, first canto, second chapter, text 18 through 19. nityam bhagavata sevaya bhaktir bhavati naishtiki for one who regularly attends classes on the Srimad Bhagavatam and renders service to, to the pure devotee, all that is troublesome to the heart is almost completely destroyed, and loving service unto the personality of Godhead, who is praised with transcendental songs, is established as in a row irrevocable fact. As soon as irrevocable loving service is established in the heart, the effects of nature's modes of passion and ignorance, such as lust, desire, and hankering, disappear from the heart. Then the devotee is established in goodness, and he becomes completely happy. This process may be gradual, but it is certain. The more we hear about Krishna, the more we become purified. Purification means freedom from the attacks of greed and passion. Then we can become happy. From this platform of purity, known as the Brahma Bhuta platform, we can realize ourselves and then realize God. So before realizing the Supreme Good, we must first come to the platform of Sattvaguna, goodness. So you can't live like a pig and act like a pig and an animal right. and expect to elevate your consciousness. Therefore, we have regulations prohibiting illicit sex, meat-eating, intoxication, and gambling. Ultimately, we must transcend even the mode of goodness through bhakti. Then we become liberated, gradually developing love of God, and regain our original state. Muktir hitman yata rupam svarupena vyavashtita. This means giving up all material engagements and rendering full service to Krishna. Then we attain the state where Maya cannot touch us. If we keep in touch with Krishna, Maya has no jurisdiction. This is perfection. Just like he, he will say often, right? Like, Darkness cannot be somewhere where there is light. Right. But then when light is taken away, darkness fills the room. Right. So you think of God as the light. Wherever you, you know, keep in touch with that, it's going to keep the ignorance away. Yeah. <clears throat> Socrates took the oracular Gnoti Soton. I have no idea what I'm saying there. Gnoti Soton? Soton? I don't know how to pronounce that. Greek. Know thy... Yeah. It's some kind of Greek something so i apologize it's g-n-o-t-h-i-s-e-a-u-t-o-n in case anybody knows that better than i do for your own knowledge <clears throat> okay um quote know thyself okay noti soton know thyself to enjoy enjoin uh quote care of the soul care of the soul as we have seen involved an intense intellectual endeavor a kind of introspective contemplation or meditation it gradually purified the self, detaching it more and more from the body and its passions. Thus, through the contemplative endeavor entailed by, quote, know thyself, a person attained knowledge and self-control, and with that he also became happy. 
Srila Prabhupada. Yes, that is a fact. Meditation means analyzing the self and searching for the absolute truth. That is described in the Vedic literature. Through meditation, the yogi sees the supreme truth, Krishna or God within himself. Krishna is there. The yogi consults with Krishna and Krishna advises him. Dadami buddhi yogam tam. When one is purified, he is always seeing Krishna within himself. This is confirmed in the Brahma Samhita. Not that you are God, but that God yeah. is living with you as your best friend. Right. Just as our Arjuna is in the chariot, the chariot is the body, Krishna is the driver. Krishna you know, so you know, Krishna is there along for the ride, but he wants to see what we're gonna do. Yeah. Premanjana Premanjana Churita Bhakti Vilo Chanena Shanta Saida Hidaye Shushipilo Vilo Kayanti Yamsyama Sunda Ramachintya Gunasvarupam Govinda Madhi Purusham Tamaham Bajami Translation I worship the primeval Lord Govinda, who is always seen by the devotee, whose eyes are anointed with the pulp of love. He is seen in his etern eternal form of Shama Sundar situated within the heart of the devotee. Thus an advanced saintly person is always seeing Krishna. In this verse, the word Shamasundar means blackish, but at the same time extraordinarily beautiful. Being the supreme personality of Godhead, Krishna is of course very beautiful. The word achinta means that he is unlimited, he has unlimited inconceivable qualities. Although he is situated everywhere as Govinda, he is always dancing in Vrindavan with the gopis. There he plays with his friends, and sometimes acting as a naughty boy, he teases his mother. These pastimes of the Supreme Person are described in the Srimad Bhagavatam, 10th Canto, Krishna book. Bam. Disciple. As far as we know, Socrates himself had no teacher in philosophy. Indeed, he refers to himself as self-made. Do you believe that one can be self-taught? Can self-knowledge be attained through one's own meditation or introspection? Yes. Ordinarily, everyone thinks according to the bodily conception. If I begin to study the different parts of my body <clears throat> and seriously begin to consider what I am, I will gradually arrive at the study of the soul. If I ask myself, am I this hand? The answer will be no. I am not this hand. Rather, this is my hand. I can thus continue analyzing each part of my body and discover that all of the parts are mine, but that I am different. Through this method of self-study, any intelligent man can see that he is not the body. This is the first lesson of the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 2, text 13. Dehinasminyata dehe karmaram yodhanam jara tata dehantara praptir dhiras tatra Translation, as the embodied soul continuously passes in this body from boyhood to youth to old age, the soul similarly passes into another body at death. A sober person is not bewildered by such a change. And quote. At one time I had the body of a child, but now that body no longer exists. Nonetheless, I am aware that I possess such a body. I love this because it's like such a, a more down-to-earth like uh -huh. way of trying to analyze really what is the soul. So at one time I had the body of a child, but now that body no longer exists. Nonetheless, I am aware that I possess such a body. Therefore, from this, I can deduce that I am something other than the body. I may rent an apartment, but I do not identify with it. The body may be mine, but I am not the body. By this kind of introspection, a man can teach himself the distinction between the body and the soul. As far as being completely self-taught, according to the Bhagavad Gita and the Vedic conception, life is continuous. Since we are always acquiring experience, we cannot actually say that Socrates was self-taught. Rather, in his previous lives, he had cultivated knowledge, and this, excuse me, oh, and this knowledge was simply continuing. That is a fact. Otherwise, why is one person intelligent and another ignorant? This is due to continuity of life through the process of transmigration of the soul. Socrates believed that through intellectual endeavor, a person can attain knowledge or wisdom, which is nothing else but the possession of all the virtues in their unity. 
Such a person always acts in the right way and thus is happy. Therefore the enlightened man is meditative, meditative, knowledgeable and virtuous. He is also happy because he acts properly. Yes, that is confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita, 1854. Brahma Bhuta When one is self-realized, he immediately becomes happy, joyful, prasanatma. This is because he is properly situated. A person may labor a long time under some mistaken idea, but when he finally comes to the proper conclusion, he becomes very happy, and he thinks, Oh, what a fool I was, going on such so long in such a mistaken way. Thus, a self-realized person is happy. Happiness means that one no longer has to think of attaining material things. For instance, Dhruva Maharaj told the Lord, Svamin, kirt, svamin kritartusmi varamna yache. Having seen you, my lord, I don't want any material benediction. Prahlad Maharaj also said, My lord, I don't want any material benefits. I have seen my father, who was such a big materialist that even the demigods were afraid of him, destroyed by you within a second. Therefore, I am not after any of these things. <clears throat> so, real knowledge means that one no longer hankers for anything. The karmis, the jnanis, and the yogis. So jnanis are the thinkers, karmis are the people who are working for some result, and yogis are the people who are working on self-realization. <clears throat> the karmis, jnanis, and yogis are all hankering after something. The karmi wants material wealth, beautiful women, good position. If one is not hankering for what one does not have, he is lamenting for something he has lost. So you're either wanting something you don't have or lamenting something you that you used to lost. have, yeah. Damn. The jnanis are also hankering, expecting to become one with God, emerge into his existence. And the yogis are hankering after some my mystical powers to befool others into thinking that they have become God. In India, some yogis convince people that they can manufacture gold and fly in the sky. And foolish people believe them. Even if a yogi can fly, what is his great achievement? There are many birds that are flying. What is the difference? Damn. <laughs> An intelligent person can understand this. If a person says that he will walk on water, thousands of fools will come to see him. That's not a dig, just to be clear. He's not digging at Jesus because he, many places, clearly says Jesus was an advanced devotee of the yeah. Lord. And both. But he's just saying, if someone could replicate what Jesus did, they would say, come and look, I'm yeah. to Jesus. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what he was meaning. Uh, people will pay even 10 rupees just to see a man bark like a dog, not thinking that there are many dogs barking anyway. In <laughs> any case, people are always hankering and lamenting, but the devotee is fully satisfied in the service of the Lord. He doesn't hanker for anything, nor does he lament. Yeah, like me, how I, I used to take such pride in my ability to sound just like Rihanna when I sang yeah. her songs. <laughs> it's like, but you can just listen to Rihanna <laughs> if, that's right. what, if that's what you're trying to do. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> all right. Disciple. Through jnana, the search for truth, Socrates may have realized Brahman. Could he have also realized Paramatma? Yes. But what about the realization of Bhagavan, Krishna? I thought that Krishna can be realized only through bhakti, devotion. Yes, one cannot un enter into Krishna's abode without being his pure devotee. Krishna states this in the Bhagavad Gita. So Krishna has, he has Goloka Vrindavan, which is where only the ones, the people who serve God in the same loving way as you hear about in his pastimes, yeah. that is where, if that's the way you want to serve God, you will go there. There's room for everybody there. Uh -huh. But some people want to worship him in the way that the Christians worship. Oh, we, we view God with awe and reverence. There's nothing wrong with that. God will reciprocate with you that way. Yeah. Just like the, the Hindus who want to worship Vishnu. If that's the way you want to have a relationship with, with Krishna, with Vishnu, you'll go back to, you know, some abode where you can yeah. interact with uh, Vishnu as, you know. Um, so it's, it's not that, oh, the other religions are wrong and this one's the only right way. No, this is just offering, you know, we're only... Prabhupada was only trying to teach bhakti yoga and stress its importance. Yeah. Because it's something that has been kind of forgotten. Jesus was hitting on it. He was hitting on bhakti yoga. If you read yeah. G, if you read the Bible and you read 
the way Jesus speaks about loving service to others and serving God, you know, heavily, heavily influenced from Indian, from Vedic thought. Vedic, you know, it's it's very in line with what is taught in Vedic scripture. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so yes. Krishna states this in the Bhagavad Gita. Bhaktya mam abhijananti. Abhijananti. One, quote, translation, one can understand me as I am only by devotional service. Krishna never says that he can be understood by jnana yoga, karma yoga, or astanga yoga. The personal abode of Krishna is especially reserved for the bhaktas, and the jnanis, yogis, and karmis cannot go there. Now, although Socrates described himself as self-made, he believed not only in the value of insight or meditation, but also in the idea that knowledge can be imparted from one person to another. He therefore believed in the role of a guru or teacher, which he himself was for many people. Yes, this is the standard Vedic principle, that to learn the truth, one must approach a guru or a spiritual master. Right, if you want to be a doctor, you can't just like read medical books and say, "Well, I did it. I read books for ten years. I'm a doctor." Like, and even if school, you did, you got... even if somehow you did it, you were that good that you no could read. No one would hire you. Well, <laughs> even if somehow you got hired, you're still learning from whoever wrote the book. Yes, true. You're, you're still right, you're right, you're just right. like we're reading these books. Yeah. I think like you can't just decide. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start cutting people up. Figure out how to be a surgeon. Like, yeah. <laughs> that yeah, is yeah, called yeah. psychopath. Yeah, right. <laughs> We're walking on a real danger. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think like you're I'm still learning. Life. Even if you try to avoid the classroom learning, yeah. you're learning somehow. You're learning from somehow. Um, and like knowledge. you were saying, I think having a teacher help you understand the writings are going to make your life a lot freaking easier. Yeah. And you're probably going to not make the mistakes you might would make if you just sure. read the book. Because they do encourage you, you to read and have someone you. help you understand what yeah. you're reading as opposed to you just trying to read it and understand everything on your own and of just course. get right down to business in the, sur in the surgery <laughs> after just yeah, reading so a few yeah, books. You get a tutor to help you yeah. figure out what it is that you're trying to choke down from the books you're reading. 100%. In the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 4, text 34, Krishna gives the same instruction. Tadvidhi pranipatena pariprashnena sevaya upadekshantite jnanam jnaninas tattvadarshina. Just try to learn the truth by approaching a spiritual master. Inquire from him submissively and render service unto him. The self-realized souls can impart knowledge unto you because they have seen the truth. End translation. Here, seeing the truth means the spiritual master is constantly seeing the Lord within his heart. In other words, within his heart, he can constantly see the Supreme Lord as the super soul and take advice from him. In the Bhagavad Gita 10.10, Krishna confirms that he enlightens the pure devotees from within. Tadami buddhi yogam tam. I give him intelligence. These are the qualifications of a real spiritual master. So it seems that Socrates would give his disciple a chance to develop their understanding. That is a good process, and it is natural. It is just like when a father teaches his child to walk. First of all, he helps the child taking his hand. Now walk, walk. Let me see how you walk. Although the child sometimes falls down, the father will encourage, Oh, you are doing very nicely. Now stand up again and walk. Similarly, a genuine spiritual master gives his disciple a chance to develop his intelligence so he can think properly how to go back home, back to Godhead. What does it mean to think properly how to go back home, back to Godhead? To always think of Krishna. We should act in such a way that we have to think of Krishna all the time. For instance, we are discussing Socratic philosophy in order to strengthen our Krishna consciousness. Therefore, the ultimate goal is Krishna. Otherwise, we are not interested in criticizing or accepting anyone's philosophy. We are neutral. So the proper use of intelligence is to guide everything in such a way that we become Krishna conscious? That is it. Without Krishna consciousness, we remain on the mental platform. Being on the mental platform means hovering. On that platform, we are not fixed. It is the business of the mind to accept this and reject that. But when we are fixed in Krishna consciousness, we are no longer subjected to the mind's acceptance or rejection. Right conduct then becomes right conduct then becomes automatic? Yes. As soon as the mind wanders, we should immediately drag it back to concentrate on Krishna. While chanting, our mind sometimes wanders far away. But when we become conscious of this, we should immediately bring the mind back to hear the sound vibration of Hare Krishna. That is called yoga abhas, abhyasa, the practice of yoga, controlling the mind. <clears throat> I added that, sorry. We should, not, <clears throat> excuse me. we should not allow our mind to wander elsewhere. 
We should simply chant and hear the Hare Krishna mantra. That is the best yoga system. Socrates could have avoided the death penalty if he had compromised his convictions. He refused to do this and so became a martyr for his beliefs. It is good that he stuck to his point, yet regrettable that he lived in a society in which he could not think independently. Therefore, he was obliged to die. In that sense, Socrates was a great soul because although he appeared in a society that was not very advanced, he was still such a great philosopher. And that is the end. Chapter one. Notes. Woo! There's a little quick oh. note here. Scholars disagree about whether Socrates explicitly taught the doctrine of remembrance. Even if the doctrine was Plato's, Plato clearly thought it inherent in Socrates' Maiotic itself. Okay. Just, I mean, for anybody that maybe had studied that, that's, I guess, an uh, interesting point. Um, but yeah, cool. We did it. It's an hour-long episode already, I think, just about. So thank you, everyone, very much. Hopefully you thank enjoyed you. it. Let us know, and we'll keep reading from this and Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. So we'll have two a week now. Yeah. So, cool. Thanks awesome. for watching. Thank you.